All right, Acts 19, 11 through 20. Now, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and diseases left them, and evil spirits went out of them. Then some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. Also there were seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest or Jewish chief priest who did so. And the evil spirit answered and said, Jesus I know and Paul I know, but who are you? And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And this became known to both to all the Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. Also, many of those who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. And so the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Now, the Apostle Paul, just a little introduction, had been traveling throughout the land, preaching and teaching the gospel of Jesus. After several missionary trips, Paul found his new headquarters in the city of Ephesus. Ephesus was a Greek city, really, full of paganism and mysticism. Magic scrolls, rings, amulets, bracelets, and necklaces thought to have powers were all very common in ancient Ephesus. The price of these magical documents and trinkets varied considerably, but history tells us that there was a huge market for them in the public square. Now, as Paul taught, God was doing unusual miracles, and the context of the Scripture implies that God was doing it frequently through the hands of Paul. So it wasn't just a one-time thing. In Acts 19, it says, God worked unusual miracles by the hands of Paul so that even handkerchiefs or aprons were brought from his body to the sick, and diseases left them, and the evil spirits went out of them. So who was the, the protagonist? God. He was using Paul... He was using the handkerchiefs that were on Paul, but God was doing unusual miracles. Now we see that not only God was doing uh, was was God was not only doing incredible miracles by him, but through him, because through him God was also delivering people from evil spirits. In case you're unaware of the connection, where you have the practice of magic and magical practices, and I'm going to say here it's black magic and white magic are all the same. Listen, let me, let me explain it to you this way. I'll get back here in a minute. But if you were accused and brought into the police station and they were interrogating you, they have a practice called good cop, bad cop. And what they want to do is psychologically they want you to get you to think that the good cop is on your side and the bad cop is not. But I'm here to tell you, they're neither one of them on your side. They're <laughs> Are you hearing what I'm saying? So, so the enemy does the same. Black magic is bad for you, but good magic is good for you. And I'm here to tell you, none of them are, are good for you. All right? So whether it be black magic, white magic, astrology, sorcery, new age, telepathy, yoga, psychic readings, tarot readings, you also, where you have these things, you also have a freedom for the demonic to move in your life. Some of the new science fiction literature that's coming, I know because I used to read them, right? And some of them were crossing over, and I had to put them aside. These practices, many of them, are demonic in nature, and they allow the demonic to move freely. 
Consequently, it would not be surprising that in this city where the practice of magic was so commonplace, you would find a related need for people to seek to control the demons that pervade it. According to our text, one of these men was a Jew named Sceva who called himself a high priest, and he had seven sons who practiced magic and dabbled in the occult. Acts 19, 13 through 16. Some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists took it upon themselves to call the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits, saying, We exorcise you by the Jesus whom Paul preaches. And also there were seven sons of Sceva, Jewish chief priests who did so. By the way, these were not believers. These were Jewish uh, followers who were trying to do what Paul, a believer, was doing. And the evil spirit said, I know Jesus, and I know Paul, but I don't know who you are. And the man in whom the evil spirit was leaped on them, overpowered them, prevailed against them, and so that they fled out of that house naked and wounded. And you might say to yourself, well, what's to keep that from happening to me? Because greater is he that lives in me than he that lives in the world. Right? God has given me authority to trample upon serpents and scorpions and over all of the power of the enemy. Nothing shall by any means harm me. That's what Scripture teaches. So the enemy has power over you if you're not a Christian, but he doesn't have a power over you if Christ is in you. Unless you give him through practices that you do an open door to mess with you in your life. Right? I was thinking about this. I don't know. I don't, I don't know about him, but... Yes, even Christians do this. Sometimes we put up stuff. We brought it back from the days when we weren't Christians. We have stuff. We put up stuff in our homes to keep evil spirits at bay. Not realizing that when you do these things, they're not keeping them at bay. They're actually inviting them in. I don't know what they are, but maybe that's for somebody here. So Paul's apparent success at healing and exorcism inspired imitation. These Jewish exorcists who were fascinated by Paul's power and influence recognized that his secret was the name of Jesus. But theirs was a counterfeit activity since they were not Christians and used the name of Jesus like a magic formula. Although they sought to copy Paul by saying, in the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out, they were unsuccessful. The reason is the name of Jesus was effective only to deliver when only when used by those who generously called upon, genuinely called upon, and followed Jesus as Lord. The humiliating, the humiliating defeat of these exorcists by the demons showed, them that it showed the Ephesians that Jesus is a power that cannot be controlled. He will not act as a pawn for anyone who calls on his name. The humiliation of the exorcist and the subsequent glorification of the name of the Lord Jesus by, uh, by many led to another amazing event. That's where we want to get to today. Acts 19, 17 through 19. This became known both to all Jews and Greeks dwelling in Ephesus, and fear fell on them all, and the name of the Lord Jesus was magnified. And many who had believed... Now listen, not many came to believe. It said many who had believed. So who are we talking to? Who are we talking about? Christians. We're talking about Christians. This is going on in the city, right? Many who had believed came confessing and telling their deeds. Now, what does that mean? Things that they did in secret, they were convicted about, and they had to bring it out into the open. And, and many of those 
who had practiced magic brought their books together and burned them in the sight of all. So here you have Christians who got saved, and the implication is they used to practice magic, but they don't anymore, but they haven't got rid of their stuff. Why didn't they get rid of their stuff? Could be all sorts of reasons. They were used to having it around. They thought, I'll have insurance in case I can't, something goes wrong, you know, because sometimes people get saved and, and they believe, but there's an enemy there saying, well, what if it doesn't work? Well, I want to have some insurance. Well, I want to tell you something, if you're not all in, it doesn't work. It just doesn't work that way, right? Like Peter walking on the water. You've got to jump all the way in if you're going to walk. If you start getting your eyes on everything else, you're going to sink. You've got to be all in. Right? So why didn't they, or maybe, as we'll see in the text, is because it was worth a lot of money. And so money was more important to them than getting rid of the stuff that was in their house. I paid a lot of money for those books. I, I'm not going to practice them anymore, but I'm not going to let them go. Why? Wow, I paid a lot of money for them. Right? I don't want to get rid of something that cost me a lot of money and not realizing that that thing that cost you a lot of money is not really helping you. And they counted up the value of them, and it totaled 50,000 pieces of silver. And so when they did this, the Bible says, the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. So there was a public expression of repentance on the part of many of those who believed on the church. Notice it doesn't say that many at that time came to know, but specifically says those who had believed. It was these professed believers who had practiced sorcery, magic, good magic, bad magic. It's all demonic. Yeah? Yoga, Buddhism, Taoism, uh, um, it's all demonic. Right? A lot of these things that Christians are, why do I have to, why can't I be a Christian and do yoga? You can be a Christian and do yoga if you want to. Nobody's telling you you can't do that. You're free to do whatever you want. Now, if you want to be a Christian and be blessed, you can't open the door to the enemy in your life. All right? Now, for many of us who are new, it's not really an issue anymore. But, but back when I was younger, it was uh, Harry Potter. Why can't I be a Christian and read Harry Potter? You can read Harry Potter if you want, if you're a Christian. But don't be surprised if you open a door to the demonic in your life. You can do whatever you want. We're not telling you you can't do these things. What we're telling you is that if you choose to do these things, you choose to opening your windows and you're opening your doors in a neighborhood that is filled with terrorists. How many of y'all would do that in a, in a, if you lived in a neighborhood that was violent? And you, had, you knew that there were people out there that all they wanted was an open door to get in. If they can get an open door in, they would rob, steal, kill. And yet the Bible says, uh, the thief comes but to steal, kill, and destroy. And when you do and follow after and practice things that invite the enemy, basically you're opening the window and the door and say, come in and have your way. So it was these professed believers who had practiced sorcery or magic who now brought their scrolls together and burned them in the open publicly. So a couple of points I want to look at here. First of all, is, first point is revelation. Many of those who came, believed, came confessing and telling their deeds. They brought their books together, burned them. For whatever reason, when they got saved, they had not completely let go of their previous ways of life. When we give our lives to God, 
we are more, it, it's supposed to be more than just getting a ticket to heaven. That has been, it's important to get saved, to go to heaven. But that is not the gospel message. The gospel message is repent for the kingdom of God is at hand. How do I get into the kingdom? I must be born again. What do I have to do to follow after Jesus? You must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow after him. We're not just getting a ticket to heaven. We are actually giving our lives to God. And in giving our lives to God, we are renouncing our formal ways of living. I tell you, man, I feel a fire in my bones right now. We are to renounce our former ways of living. I renounce the ways of darkness to embrace the kingdom of God. If I'm going to follow after God, I have to shed my life. That's what baptism is. Baptism is I die to that person that I was before I came into Christ. And I resurrected a new life in Jesus Christ. I'm a new creation in Christ. All things have passed away. I'm dead. I'm dead to that. I died to that. And I'm a new creation. I'm alive to God. We're supposed to do like the blind man did when Jesus called him to appear before him. In Mark 10, 46 through 50, blind Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus, sat by the road begging. And when he heard that it was Jesus of Nazareth, he began to cry out and say, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And many warned him to be, warned him to be quiet, but he cried out all the more, son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stood still and commanded him to be called. And when they called the blind man, saying to him, Be of good cheer, rise, he's calling you, throwing aside his garment. What was that garment? That was his official sanction that gave him uh, uh, the, the legal right to beg. He threw it aside and he said, I'm not blind anymore. Because Jesus is calling me to him. And some of us, we need to realize when we get called to Jesus, we need to throw off those robes of unrighteousness. I'm not practicing this anymore. I'm not doing this anymore. I'm not living way like this anymore. And we need to throw them aside and cast them aside. And we need to come to Jesus and let him make us whole. 1 Kings 19, 19 through 21, Elijah passed by Elisha, threw his mantle on him, and he left the oxen and ran after Elijah and said, please let me kiss my father and my mother, and then I will follow you. And he said to him, go back again, for what have I done to you? In other words, I put the call on your life. I'm, I was used by God to put the call of the prophetic on your life, but it's up to you whether you choose to do it or not. And that's what I'm trying to get you to understand. We'll explain to you the Word of God, teach you the Word of God, preach you the Word of God, but it's up to you whether you're going to do it or not and what you do with it. We have free will. We have free will. We want you to come. We want you to be here. But you know what? You're only going to be as free as what you're willing to submit to God. So Elisha turned back from him, and he took a yoke of oxen and slaughtered them and boiled their flesh using the oxen's equipment and gave it to the people, and they ate. And he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. So what's happening? He, see, he, was, he was plowing with 12 yoke of oxen. He was one. He basically had a very, uh, 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 like a, a big ranch. And he had 12 teams of tractors working that ranch. But the, the, actors, the, the tractors of the day were oxen. 
And when he was called, you know, he could have said to himself, well, I'll follow after Elijah, but I'm going to keep my oxen just in case it doesn't work out. Or he said, well, I'm going to follow after Elijah, but, you know, these oxen, they can provide me a good source of living while I go doing all these things. But he understood. He said, no, that's not how you follow after God. If you're going to follow after God, you will be tempted to go back. I'm telling you now, you're going to be tempted to go back. Because following after God is not always easy. Following after God is not always, uh, 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 you know, a bed of roses. It's not always the beautiful picture that oftentimes we're, we're painted. You're going to get there one day. You're going to see freedom. You're going to see the blessings of God. You're going to see all these things. But you're also going to go through valleys. You're going to go through dark places. You're going to go through storms just like everybody else. And you know what? You're going to have to have the, the gumption, and you're going to have to have the willingness and the resolve to follow after God and not go back to your old way of life. And so Elisha, he burned his oxen and the equipment, and he basically made a big barbecue for everybody. And he arose and followed Elijah and became his servant. And guess what? He had no way to get back. He had no way to go, for, uh, to go backwards, only to go forwards. That's the only way he could go. And we need to do that. We need to separate ourselves from the things that are holding us down, the things that are holding us back. The enemy lies to us and tells us, just in case. And the Lord is saying today, no, it's time to separate yourself from those things. Light and darkness are not compatible. You cannot have darkness in your light if you want to go after the light. The light and the darkness do not, are not compatible, so if you try to bring darkness in you, you're snuffing out your light. Apparently, in our text, the believers were moved by the experience of the Jewish exorcists to realize that their own previous involvement with the magic arts now needed to be dealt with. Perhaps they had kept scrolls uh, in, in which spells were written as an insurance policy in case their newfound faith proved to be inadequate in some situation. Burning the scrolls was a, ray of, a way of renouncing them and represented a greater trust in God to deliver them from trouble and to supply their needs. Contrary to popular belief or expectations, Christians are not fully healed or perfected the moment they get saved. Worldly ways of thinking can persist alongside general, genuine Christian experience. And listen, I'm going I'm to switch gears a little bit because I'm talking about magic, but I'm going to talk about the one thing that a lot of Christians bring with them and they never let go, and that's unforgiveness, bitterness, and resentment. They bring it into, I'm free, I'm free, I'm free, but you're really not. Because you and God are in good relationship, you and God are in good terms, but inside you're, 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 you've got a bitterness, you've got unforgiveness, and the Lord says you need to forgive, and you say no. And the Lord says you've got to let them go, and you've got to say no. Well, I'm here to tell you that today it's time to forgive and to let go. And see, the lie that the enemy puts into us, well, if I forgive them and I let them go, then I'm making it okay. You're not making it okay. You're not in any way giving them permission to keep doing that. All you're doing is getting yourself out of a jail that you put yourself into by embracing the lie that unforgiveness and bitterness are my way of taking care of the situation. Like somebody said, it's like drinking poison and, and, and waiting for the other person to die. And today is the day some of you may have to put a name. You say, well, I have to, if I forgive them, I have to let them into my life. No, you don't. Uh, uh, forgiving and trust are two different things. If I had somebody come and stab me with a knife, 
I would, for, I would have to forgive them according to the word of God. But I'd be stupid if I let them around me again with a knife. Two different things. Uh, I'm going to forgive you. In other words, I'm not going to make you pay anymore because Jesus didn't make me pay. So I'm not going to make you pay anymore. But we'll wait and see whether or not I give you a little more freedom of coming into my life. All right? But you can do that and forgive them. And Christians are bound and we allow the enemy to have a way into our life without realizing it by holding on to unforgiveness and bitterness. Burning the scrolls, getting back here, burning the scrolls was a way of renouncing these things from the past and represented a greater trust in God to deliver uh, them from their trouble and supply their needs. Romans 12 and 2 says, Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. He's talking to Christians, not unchristians, not, not unbelievers. He's telling Christians, you still have work to do. How do I transform my mind? Blessed is the man that walks not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of the scornful, but his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law does he meditate uh, uh, day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that shall bring forth his fruit in his seasons. His leaves shall not wither, and whatever he does shall prosper. How do I transform my ways of thinking? In other words, the ways of thinking that you presently carry, even though you got saved, are still worldly ways of thinking. How do I transform my ways of thinking? You've got to get into this. And when this tells you that what you presently think is wrong, you got to embrace this and shuck this. Too often what we do is we keep this and transform this. And that's why you don't experience victory in your life, right? That's what a lot of churches are doing today. I'm not talking, uh, I'm talking about, I'm talking about we see it in society. We see it on the news. A lot of churches are saying, well, you know, God is love. And therefore, if you practice homosexuality, uh, uh, you know, you practice, uh, uh, you know, living with somebody outside of marriage, God understands. He might understand, but it doesn't make it right. It's still sin. It's wrong. Well, we want to embrace these people, so we're going to accept their lifestyle. You can accept people and not accept their lifestyle. You love the sinner, but you don't embrace the sin. You don't compromise truth because God is true, and he will not compromise. We can compromise truth as a church, but we're going to accept, we're going to embrace people, but we're going to lose God. And I don't, my, my heart's thinking was, is I love people, but I want God. And I'm willing to lose people if I can have God. But I promise you one thing, if you have God in the presence of God in your life, you're going to have people. Because people are drawn to the Almighty God. 2 Corinthians 10, 4 through 5. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds. Where are those strongholds? Casting down arguments, uh, 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 ways of thinking, way, uh, 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 your, your thoughts, every high thing that exalted itself against the knowledge of God. This is the battlefield right here bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. I remember somebody told me, this is the word of God, I said, and they said, well, that's not my truth. So if you're all of a sudden determining what's truth or not, then you're the one that should be sitting on the throne. I've got a question for you. Why is the universe in such bad condition if you're sitting on the throne? And some, of, some people can say that about God, and, the, and God can say, well, it wouldn't be if you let me sit on the throne because I've given you free will. He can come in. He can change your life. 
He can order your life around, but in order to do that, you've got to let him sit on the throne of your life. He determines what's right and wrong. He determines where you're going to go and what you're not going to do. He determines what's uh, uh, morality and what's immoral and what's moral. He determines it, and when you follow him, yes, you're going to lose some people, but you're going to gain God, and you're going to gain some others. Sooner or later, there must come a point when believers realize the need to confess their sinfulness of their practices. What is sinfulness? Whatever God says is wrong. Whatever God says will hurt you. If it is possible to go further and remove the cause of the temptation, as in this case, that's even better. Okay? If you're tempted to do drugs, get rid of the drugs. But most importantly, get rid of your friends. Because you can get rid of your drugs, but your friends will come over and they'll bring drugs with them. Am I telling the truth or not? Well, um, and here's the, the lie the enemy always uses. Well, my friends need Jesus. Yes, they need Jesus, but there's other people out there that can reach them. Because I promise you, they're going to they're gonna draw you back into the world before you draw them to Jesus. Because if you go out on their turf in the condition that you're in, a brand new believer, I'm going to tell you, they're going to have some sway over you, and they're going to get you. And once they get a hook in you, there you go. Right? And so what you got to do is you got you to you serve God, you got to live for God, and you've got to get rid of those things in your life. Well, well, that's the thing. Well, well, see, you got to be willing to let it all go. I remember, I remember going home and talking to my, my family and my friends. I love my family and love my friends, and I didn't have to get rid of my family. Thankfully, they didn't get rid of me, but they weren't all too happy when I got saved. Right? And you know what I had to do? I had to determine, well, I'm following after Jesus. Whether you come with me or not or whether you let me go or not, it doesn't matter. I'm following after Jesus. Well, you need a crutch. So you're gonna, whatever you want to call it, I don't care. I'm following after Jesus. And you know what ended up happening? They started walking with me. My brother got saved. My other brother got saved. My dad got saved. My mom got saved. My sister got saved. The neighborhood around us got saved. I lost a few. That's okay. Somewhere down the road, there's other people that will reach them too. God is good. God is good. God is good. God is good. The Bible says in Ephesians 5, 8 through 11, For you were once darkness, but now you were light. You once were. Not anymore. Now you were light. Walk as children of light. For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Finding out what is acceptable not to your friends, not to the world, what is acceptable to God. And have no fellowship. Not some fellowship, no fellowship with the unfruitful works of darkness, but rather expose them. You hear what I'm saying? Brings us to our second point. Removal, Acts 19 and 19. Many of those who had practiced brought their books, burned them in the sight of all, and they counted up the value of them in total 50,000 pieces of silver. The futility of the ungodly attempts to deal with evil spirits led many of the Ephesian converts to realize that the magic to which they were still attached was both useless and sinful. They therefore brought the various magical handbooks and paraphernalia to which they were still holding on to and made a decisive final break with them by publicly burning them. If the Lord is talking to you about things, while I'm preaching, you write it down on that card, and we're going to put it up here. Romans 13 and 12. The night is far spent, the day is at hand. Therefore, let us cast off the works of darkness, and let us put on the armor of light. 
Ephesians 4, 17 through 24. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk in the futility of their mind. He's talking to the church. No longer do that. Having their understanding darkened, being alienated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them, because of the blindness of their heart, who being past feeling have given themselves over to lewdness, to work all uncleanliness with greediness. But you have not so learned Christ. If indeed you have heard him and have been taught by him as the truth is in Jesus, that you put off concerning your conduct the old man which grows corrupt according to the deceitful lust and be renewed in the spirit of your mind and you put on the new man which was created according to God in true righteousness and holiness. I didn't put that in there, but Romans 12 and 1, I beseech you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, that you present your bodies a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable unto God. The value of the stuff that they brought was astounding. One drachma was a day's wage for a normal worker. This group of new Christians stood by and watched 50,000 days' wages of merchandise go up in smoke. If we were to just for the sake of talking, and I know we could use all sorts of figures, but let's just say a day's wage to be around 150 dollars we're looking at about $7.5 million worth of stuff that they were now casting into the flames. These Ephesian believers, and these are Christians, not the, the lost, not the rest of the city, the church. These Ephesian believers were so impacted by the encounter the Jewish priest had with the demoniac that it moved them to do what they should have done at the beginning of their Christian walk. These believers really put their money where their mouth was, counting all that represented their old life as worthless. And third thing I want to look at is the word revival. When they did that, the Bible says the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. Luke's conclusion to this passage echoes two other verses in Acts. In, first, uh, uh, in Acts 6 and 7, the word of the Lord spread and the number of the disciples multiplied greatly in Jerusalem and a great many of the priests were obedient to the faith. In Acts 12 and 24, but the word of God grew and multiplied. In each case, a similar statement marks the end of one significant period of ministry and the beginning of another, attributing every spiritual advance to the word of the Lord or the gospel. Each mention of the word growing sums up a resolution of some great conflict taking place either in the church or among the believers. Hopefully we too will find that as we take this step of faith to rid ourselves of things that we have been holding on to, to cast aside those things that have been tripping us up, the same can and will be said of us that the word of the Lord grew mightily and prevailed. We've grown to a certain point. And God has stripped some stuff off of us as a church. We know it. Behind the scenes, we know it. You may not know it, but we've seen some things get stripped off of us behind the scenes. Right? And we've got to a certain point. And it's kind of like there's a vibrancy, but it's kind of like being held in check. And what is it that's going to let us break loose? Perhaps it's this. Perhaps it's the Lord saying, see, every Every situation where God came near required people to give something up. Required another step of letting go, of renouncing, of removing, of submitting. Laying it down before God. 
Because God doesn't just come in and, and take everything out. God comes in and he requires us to bring it to him. And where we create a vacuum and allow him, he fills that place with himself. So in our text, we saw that the power of the gospel to transform lives was associated with and illustrated by healings, exorcism, and the defeat of false religion and magic. I, I was walking, in a, I was driving around. I, I, my wife and I have been blessed to be able to buy a house. And um, I was driving around the neighborhood because my, my feeling is that the Lord lives inside of me and my family. And where we go, the presence of God goes. And so anytime God gives us a foothold in the neighborhood, uh, my prayer is that peace would be released and light would be released and push back the darkness. And I was walking around, I was driving around the neighborhood, I had my GPS on, and one of the houses uh, down the street has astrological something. It's a business working out of the house. And I said, we're going after that. Because light and darkness aren't compatible. We're going to take authority over that. We're going to release the, release the presence of God into that neighborhood. We're going to push back the darkness. Did you know that, that God's desire is not to save you and hide you underneath a bushel? But that's what we do as Christians. We get saved, hide out in the church, protect yourself from the world. Don't let darkness, it's kind of like the devil is so, in that mentality, he's so strong that we have to be careful. No, you have to get stronger in God, yes. But God's desire is not that we be hidden under a bushel. God's desire is that he release the lights. Because light pushes back darkness. But here's the thing, if you carry darkness with you, you can't fully release the light. Jesus said, Arise and shine, for the light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. If that same Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you, then he who raised Christ Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal body, if that Spirit dwells in you. A Spirit of God dwells in you. The light of God is in you. What we're doing today is we're casting things out of our lives that don't allow the light of God to manifest. And listen, the enemy is not afraid of you. He's afraid of the God who lives in you. And you know what he's really afraid of? That you'll have an awareness of who it is that lives inside of you. If God be for me, who can stand against me? Paul said, I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I that live, but Christ in me. And the life I live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. It was the power of God that was visibly demonstrated that pricked the hearts of the people to repent and go further in their walk with God. Romans 1 and 16, Paul says, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ because it is the power of God to the salvation for everyone who believes. 1 Corinthians 4 and 20, for the kingdom of God is not in word but in power. 
I believe that today as we hear what God did in these Ephesians believers, God will continue His work in us by doing the same. Today, the Holy Spirit is revealing things that we need to rid ourselves of as He is seeking to take us not only individually but corporately into a greater realm of revelation, power, and growth. I challenge us today to obey the promptings of the Holy Spirit and to bring our stuff to the burning we have prepared specifically for this occasion. I believe the Lord is in this. Now today, you may not have your stuff this morning, but we gave you a card. And on that card, you don't have to put your name on there, but on that card, I want you to write down what it is that God is convicting you of. God is not condemning you. He's not a condemning God. He's not saying, oh, you're going to hell now. That's not what he's saying. He's saying, see this thing in your life? It's messing with you. I want to help you. I want to get this thing out of your life so that you can experience all that I have for you. If you'll listen to me and follow me and listen to my voice and do what I say, you will experience such joy, power, and freedom in your life. That's what it means to be convinced. I'm convinced that I, well, I need to be convinced that what I'm doing that I thought was good for me is bad for me. And I need to be willing to give it up and give it to God. It's the only way it works is submission. Submitting myself to the voice of God. Submitting myself to the will of God. Giving it to the Lord. And when I do that, he's so good. He's already made a way to take it from me. And when he takes it from me, he gives me his freedom, his peace, his joy in, in the middle of it.